0: I'm so thankful that this past year we've been able to uh, have welcome two babies into into the congregation and we have two brand new mothers and so uh, again I'll say more after after this after the sermon what's well, always good to join here to the, together with the brethren in worship of our God our the father the Son the Holy Spirit. I hope that you will continue to pray for our church we have been Settling into this building for the past, well, probably the past couple of months now. And we're hopeful that we would continue to make a few improvements to improvements to our visibility here. We also hope to hear from you. Please let Bay or I know if you have any suggestions concerning the church. Some of you have made your, your uh, wishes known and others we haven't heard from. So we want to make sure that we're hearing from all of you. We always endeavor and no matter what we do, we always endeavor to remain true to the ministry pillars of Grace Bible Church. We desire to, as I prayed earlier, exalt God in all that we do, and we are committed to the exposition of Scripture and the equipping of the saints, and we understand the importance of evangelizing the lost. By the way, our desire is to see an increased effort in evangelism. It is uh, If you have a heart for sharing the gospel, please see or I. Brandon Welch is actually... Uh, been working on an evangelism event coming soon. I think if you're on band uh, that you can get, a, get the information about it. As a matter of fact, if you're not on band and you would like to be, it's a great way to get plugged in. See Omar for that or myself and we'll, we'll direct you in the right way. Now, uh, but I, we just want to make sure that you realize that we are moving forward in some of these things and, and that we are listening to what you have to say about the church. Now, over this past few weeks, we've been studying this little letter written by Paul to Philemon. Uh, our study has caused me to reflect more deeply on the nature of Christian forgiveness and unity. In short, I would argue that it's absolutely critical that we pursue unity and peace. This necessarily means that we must be willing, as we, as we interact as a body, we must be willing to forgive And to reconcile, seek reconciliation, that is, when we have been wronged or when we have wronged others. Let me say this, say it this way. Unity doesn't come at the expense of truth. I hope you understand that. Unity doesn't come at the expense of truth. The only way we can truly be unified is around the truth of God's Word. Also, forgiveness does not come at the expense of reconciliation. In other words, true forgiveness will always result in reconciliation. I'm not saying that the relationship will always be restored to the same as before the the sin occurred. You see, sin has consequences, and sometimes those consequences change the situation. Sometimes it drastically changes the situation. I I said another way, I may be forgiven, but there are still consequences for my sin. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he says, Forgiveness does not mean excusing. For example, a murderer may be forgiven by the victim's family, but they, he still has to pay, or he or she still has to pay, society's penalty for his transgression or her transgression. If, you thought about, if you've thought about forgiveness with any depth, you probably have recognized the complexity of the matter. It's, it's a complex issue, complex issue. It has been said by many that the command to forgive is one of the most controversial in the Bible. In some places, it seems we're called to forgive without question. We are, we are to just forgive. In, in, in other places, it says opposite, or it seems to say opposite of that. Last week we saw Matthew 6 14 and 15, where Jesus says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now the question is, do these texts teach that I'm to ignore wrongs committed? So if somebody commits a wrong, am I to just ignore that and forgive? Or are we to, are we to, to forgive unconditionally even when the one who sinned against us and sinned against me or whatever has not repented? So they've sinned against me and they've not repented. Am I to, to, to forgive them? In other texts, it seems that there must be some sort of transaction for forgiveness and, recon- and for reconciliation to occur. In, in Luke 17, 3 and 4, it says, Be on your guard. If your brothers brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, uh, saying, saying, I repent, you are to forgive him. So, so there seems to be some transaction that's going on there. So... The question is, are we to withhold forgiveness unless we're asked? If I, and if I'm to withhold that forgiveness, how do I avoid bitterness and honor God's command to forgive? I mean, those are tough questions. And I hope that over the next few weeks, over the next couple of weeks, we can answer those questions for you. That we can see, see what the Bible says about forgiveness so that we can understand clearly what we are to do in those situations where either we've wronged someone or we've been wronged. I hope that we'll see these answers as we continue our study in Philemon. So with that, let me pray. And we'll read the text this morning. And then we'll dive into the sermon. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us as we endeavor to understand your word, as we exalt you, as we preach your scripture, as we, Lord, equip the saints. Father, that they would be ready to go out and do the work of the service. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. In Christ's name, amen. Let me read to you out of the book of Philemon. Starting in verse 8. Paul writes to Philemon, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, I would I'd rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." In his book called Unpacking Forgiveness, Chris Bronze tells the following incredible story of Jennifer Thompson. One night in 1984, an assailant broke into her apartment, held a knife to her throat, and raped her. During the ordeal, as difficult as it was, she worked to study her attacker to be able to identify him later. She resolved, when and if I survive this attack, I was going to be able to make sure that he was put in prison and he was going to rot. Within a few days, she had the opportunity to identify her attacker in a police lineup. She confidently testified against Ronald Cotton, who was sentenced to life in prison. At the time, she celebrated the sentence. She was convinced that he deserved to spend the rest of his life locked up for his crime. When the gavel struck... She was thankful that justice had been served and that she could move on with her life. Unbelievably, two years after Ronald Cotton was sentenced to life, the courts granted him a new trial. Again, Jennifer Thompson testified against him. She was absolutely confident that he was the man who raped her. But this time, the defense brought forward another possible suspect. Thompson was sure that she had never met this new suspect. After all, she had studied the man's face during those tortured moments. Thankfully, the jury convicted Ronald Cotton again. She was absolutely certain that he was the guilty party. Eleven years passed after Cotton's second, second conviction, and then according to Chris Braun, the authorities asked her to submit a sample for DNA testing. She was absolutely certain he was gu- guilty, so she had no problem providing the sample. Then the unthinkable happened. DNA testing proved that Ronald Cotton was not guilty. He was not there. The other suspect, a man named Bobby Poole, had raped Jennifer Thompson. Her testimony had sent the wrong man to prison for 11 years. In addition to being raped, now she carried the guilt of sending the wrong man to prison for all those years. In a newspaper article called, Even the Perfect Witness Can Make a Mistake, Helen O'Neill told the story of how Jennifer moved on with her life. This is incredible. For two years after, Jennifer Thompson never stopped feeling ashamed. Over and over, she, she wondered, how could she have made such a terrible mistake? And what of the man whose life she had ruined all those years locked away from his family? Now that he was free, did he hate her as much as, he, as she hated herself? Then one day she stopped crying. She knew exactly what to do. A few weeks later, she drove 50 miles to a church in the town where, she, where this had happened and she had, she had prayed for the strength to meet Ronald Cotton. I'm sorry, she said. If I spent every day of my life telling you how sorry I am, it wouldn't come close to what I feel. Ronald Cotton, as he heard these words, was calm and quiet. Finally, he spoke. He says, I'm not mad at you. I've never been mad at you. I just want you to have a good life. For two hours, they sat and talked, about, talked while the families paced outside. They talked about the pitfalls of memory, the power of faith, and the miracle of DNA. DNA. They talked about Bobby Poole. They agreed they were both his victims. And as dusk fell, they made their way out of the church in the parking lot with their families in in the background weeping. Jennifer Thompson and Ronald Cotton embraced. Ronald Cotton was able to forgive Jennifer because Ronald Cotton had been forgiven himself. You see, During his time in prison, Ronald was almost overcome by the bitterness of being placed there wrongly. But instead of surrendering to that great bitterness, he surrendered to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He had been shown mercy and grace by Christ, so he was able to graciously forgive the woman who had taken 11 years from his life. I love this story because it shows the power of God to bring about good even to the most complex situations you see ronald cotton was a forgiven man he had he had brought his sins to the only one who could deal with them he and he was it was because of that he was a changed man in the words of corey tinboom she says when i bring my sins to the lord jesus he casts them into the depths of the sea forgiven and forgotten he also puts up a sign no fishing allowed, end quote. The story of Ronald Cotton and Jennifer Thompson is one of forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation with God, with God, resulting in forgiveness and reconciliation with his accuser. Stories like this should cause you to give thanks for our forgiving God who works through even the worst of situations, Yet, if you and I are honest, we know that we can struggle to forgive. Uh, Again, in the words of C.S. Lewis, he says, everyone everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, end quote. Today, as we begin our study in in Philemon, that is, through 8-20, the Apostle Paul will uh, will model to us the, the anatomy of forgiveness and reconciliation. This text will show us that forgiveness that we can give forgiveness and and reconciliation can occur despite great personal loss. And we'll see that clearly in Paul's life. Now, before we dive into the passage, I want to briefly remind you of the first two sermons. As we have progressed through this letter, we have been working through a series outline. In this letter, the Apostle Paul models four ways to be a forgiving church. Two weeks ago, we saw that we must be a church marked by Christian fellowship. Paul modeled this in the opening of the letter. In those verses, we found that to be a church marked by a fellowship, we must relate to one another in humility. He writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. In other words, we must, think, we must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. He's drawing upon the principle that he taught to the Romans in Romans 12.3. And and we should also, as a church, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. That's that's Romans 12.10. Next, we found that to be a church marked by fellowship, we must realize the importance of fellowship. In Philemon Philemon 2, he he writes to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, uh, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Beloved, Christian fellowship is critical to surviving and thriving in a world of sin. We need to recognize, we need to realize the importance of Christian fellowship and do all we can to protect and increase it, not decrease it. You see, in our culture, the idea is is we want to be independent. We want to put put walls up around ourselves. We don't want to open ourselves up to others. We We don't want Christian fellowship. But in truth, we need to have more Christian fellowship. Lastly, we found to be a church... marked by fellowship, we must recognize the role of grace. Paul writes in Philemon 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Put simply, as Christians who love the Lord, we have been saved by grace through faith. We have no right to salvation, yet God has saved us and granted us peace with Him and with the brethren. And therefore, we need to live that way. We are now prisoners and slaves of Christ. We have been uh, forgiven and reconciled to Him. Before we were prisoners of our sin, we were slaves to our sin. But He's freed us by redemption. He's bought us back. Our relation with him, relationship with Him has also freed us to love Him and to love the brethren openly and without fear. Perfect love, as it says, perfect love casts out all fear. We are no longer bound by the world's expectation that we follow their social constructs. The the Apostle Paul related to Timothy and Philemon and Archippus as brothers and fellow workers. He saw Apphia as his sister in Christ. And shockingly, he wanted wanted, uh, Philemon to know Onesimus, uh, a slave, as his brother in Christ. Uh, The only way this could happen is for Philemon to recognize the role of grace and the role of peace from uh, the Father and the Son. Now, last week we studied Philemon 4-7. through In that passage, we saw the second of four ways, the second of four ways to be a forgiving church. We must be a church made up of authentic believers. And now, at first you should be then known for your faith in Christ. That's verses 4 and 5. Uh, he, he says in verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, in those two verses, Paul encourages Philemon by telling him that he prays often for him. Paul's prayers for Philemon are are intentional in nature. He prays for him because uh, Philemon has shown uh, a, a faith toward the Lord Jesus. Last week, we found that that faith in Christ is the foundation to, be, to being authentic or genuine Christians. Uh, you may remember that I'm using the word authentic to convey the idea of representing one's own true nature or beliefs. In other words, what we believe, the faith that we have, lines up with how we act. It lines up with our behavior. We believe, therefore we do. As authentic believers, we are to act in a certain way to bring glory to God. This means that we have to be Christians and, and we have to act like Christians. So first and foremost, as a church and as individuals who, who make up the, the church, we should be known for our faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ and faith in Jesus affects every action that we take. Secondly, to be a church made up of authentic believers, you should be known for your love for the saints. In Philemon 5, uh, Paul tells Philemon the reason he, he prays for him. because He says, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now last week we found, we, we studied, we saw that faith is the precursor for our love for God and for the saints. We, we love God because we believe Him, because we trust in Him, because we trust in His Word. We love others because we have placed our hope in Christ who transcends this world that we see. Therefore, we show our love for the saints in a willingness to, to give ourselves to care for them. In that sense, faith and love are, are inseparable. We can't truly love God and others without having faith in Christ. Therefore, you must have faith in Him and be known for your love for Him. This love lived out is lived out as you love the saints and as you love the lost. Thirdly to be a church made up of authentic believers you should be known for your spiritual fruits. Look at verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, "And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing that is in which is in you for Christ's sake, for I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because of the hearts of the saints, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother." Now last week I gave my my translation of verse 6. I, as you may recall, it was very, it's a very difficult verse to translate, but I, here's what I, how I, my best guess, or my, not guess, but my best shot, if you will, at making this uh, translation. So I wrote, I, I translated, I pray that the fellowship, this is verse 6, I pray that the fellowship based on your faith may become effective or gener- energized, that is, through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in us as we orient ourselves toward Christ. Now you may recall, I also paraphr- paraphrase this verse in this way. Philemon, this is Paul writing, or Paul, this is my paraphrase of Paul's writing. Philemon, I am praying that, that the true fellowship that arises from your faith in Jesus may be energized by a full and deepening understanding of every good thing we possess among us as we worship Christ together. Now, Paul wanted Philemon's faith in Jesus to be true fellowship, energized by a full understanding of all the good things that we possess, that we have in Christ as we worship Him. He wanted Philemon to choose to forgive Onesimus. And this would open the way for a greater experience of the good things we possess together as followers of Christ. Now today... We're going to look at the third of four ways Paul models how to be a forgiving church. We must be a church measured by genuine forgiveness and reconciliation. That's verses 8 through 20. Now, in these verses, Paul models five different actions that will help achieve genuine forgiveness and reconciliation with your brethren. First, you should lovingly appeal to your brother. Now, I'm using brother I could say brother or sister, I could say brethren, I'm just going to use brother because that's that's what the text says. So we first should lovingly appeal to your brother. Second, humbly approach your brother. Third, justly agree with your brother. Fourth, righteously ask your brother. Fifth, selflessly accommodate your brother. Now, Let's look at the first of five different actions that will help achieve forgiveness and reconciliation with your brethren. You should first lovingly appeal to your brother. Look at your text in verse 8. Paul writes, "Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper." Now notice, Paul says therefore. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is the there therefore? What is the therefore there what is it? Yeah, yeah you know what I'm saying. In other words, on the basis of what Paul has just said, in in the prior verses, he had had commended Philemon for his personal faith, his love and his spiritual fruit. You see, up to that time, Philemon had lived the authentic Christian life. His walk up until that point was highly commendable, and Paul was able to tell him, "This this is how I know you, and this is how I pray for you. He was a man who lived out what he believed. To fair paraphrase the, the preceding verses, Paul is saying, Philemon, you are a dear, dear friend to me and a fellow worker. You have opened your home and your heart to other believers. You have done this by faith and love for Christ. You have demonstrated this by loving the saints in very tangible ways that they have been refreshed by. Look at the next phrase. After, in Philemon 8, after therefore. He says, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. You see, Paul was an apostle. He was a, a mature, an incredibly mature and, and gifted believer. He had, he had much boldness to speak the truth in love. He understood the, the Christian life and what it means to be in Christ. And he knew what Philemon needed to do and what was proper for him to do. He could have easily, with all these credentials, he could have easily and rightly ordered him to do it. Now, as we've said before, he could have used his rights as an apostle to command Philemon to act properly. Yet, Paul chose not to approach the situation in that manner. Look at Philemon 9. Yet, for love's sake, I would rather, rather appeal to you. It, it, Paul knew Philemon's love for Christ. He had heard many stories of his love for the saints. It's clear from the text. Philemon's entire life was centered on love for Christ and the saints. This has, it had resulted in a deep fellowship with the saints. Truly, this, this fellowship had turned uh, his social structure upside down. Uh, he, he, he was a, a man who owned slaves, but yet there were slaves in his congregation. Therefore, Paul appeal, appealed to Philemon on the basis of love. He wanted Philemon to act of his own volition, of his, of his own free will. Now I could, I could go deeper into that and will at some point, but, but the idea here is he wants Philemon to act on the basis of his love for God and for the saints. Now look back at your text in verse 9. Paul writes, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, this statement sounds To me, a little awkward in the NASB, the 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 ESB smooths the translation by saying, I Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. But I think but I really think the NAS brings out the sense of Paul's words. You see, what Paul is doing is he's highlighting his current position in Christ. You see, Paul is an old man in that he was probably between the ages of fifty and fifty-six at this point. So he was moving toward being old in, in his age. And I, I would argue that he's highlighting here an increased need for care due to due, due his advancing years. Uh, this had been made worse by the ill treatment that he had received as a re- result of the many persecutions that he had suffered. In his ministry, we know that he was stoned and, and beaten and shipwrecked. His body must have been racked with pain because of all that he had suffered. Even as he wrote this letter, he was he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was suffering imprisonment uh, and chains in uh, Rome for the sake of the gospel. So therefore, uh, he appealed to Philemon to show love and compassion toward him. Truly, what's happening here is Paul is giving Philemon the opportunity to show love and compassion toward him. He's giving him the opportunity because he's telling him the truth about what's going on with him. By way of application, have you ever found yourself at odds with another believer in Christ? Perhaps your spouse. Perhaps your brother or sister in, in Christ. If so, did you appeal to them on the basis of love? Many times our tendency is to be prideful and, and demanding. Many times we, we act according to quote-unquote the law, but, but we're not doing it in a loving way. You see, Paul models a loving approach to forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul's actions should be copied anytime time we approach division within the body of Christ. You see, uh, we are one in Christ. And in Paul's words from Ephesians 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Is that enough? We're, we're one in Christ, Beloved. Therefore, we should lovingly approach our brother anytime there's a difference with him. We should lovingly approach our sisters in Christ anytime there's a difference with them. Let's look at the second of five actions that Paul models to, a, to achieve genuine forgiveness and reconciliation with your brother or your brethren. You should humbly approach your brother. Humbly approach your brother. Look at verses 10 and 11. Look at your text in verse ten. Paul writes, "I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment." I want you to notice here Paul's humble approach. You see, Paul refrained from ordering Philemon to do what was right, but but and it should it should be striking to you, it should be striking to you that Paul took almost half the letter before he got to this gets to his reason for writing. He, took, he takes half, almost half of the letter, definitely more than a third of the letter, to get to the point. He could have easily done this in a much, shorter, a much shorter letter. He could have sent him a note saying, Hey, Philemon, I've chosen to keep Onesimus with me. I want you to release him from any obligation. He could have been that blunt. Signed the Apostle Paul. Yet Paul used the first nine verses to set up Philemon to do the right thing. Now you might say you might look at this and go well that's that's manipulative on Paul's part. I don't think so. You see Paul knows Paul knows what Philemon should do. He knows what is proper for the believer in Christ. Yet he wants Philemon to come to that same conclusion of his own free will. So he reminded him of the truth, the truth of his faith and of his love before he made his request known. Now notice that Paul refers to Onesimus as his child. Paul is his spiritual father. Now, he referred to Timothy in much the same way in 1 Timothy 1-2, where he called Timothy, my true child in the faith. He often, as you know, referred to followers of Christ in, in this manner, those who he, whom he had preached the gospel to. He spoke this way of the Galatians. He says in Galatians four nineteen, my children, with whom I am again in labor uh, until Christ is formed in you. I mean, he was upset with the Galatians because they were departing from the, the teaching of the Word of God, yet he's, he's referring to them as children, his children. So for Paul, this is both a, a term of endearment for a, for a beloved uh, a people in, in, in the gospel and ministry whom he dearly loves. He, he, he refers to them as chil- his children. It's also, it's also a recognition that they've been born again or begotten under, under Paul's ministry. With Onesimus, he had, he had heard the gospel and came to know Christ during his time with Paul in Rome. In other words, he was, uh, Onesimus was born again. He, and Paul was his spiritual father. And this fits with Jesus' words in John 3, 3, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This, this also flows nicely out of Paul's comments in Philemon 9, where he, where he says, since I am such a person as Paul the age, now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, in, in verse 9, Paul wanted Philemon to know that he was in great need of care. And in verse 10, he suddenly points out that Onesimus can provide that care. That Onesimus was just the person who could, who could come alongside him and love him in that way. Yet he's more concerned with Onesimus as a new convert than someone who can help him through a difficult time. I'm reminded of Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.16. I mean, this, is, this is at the end of his life. He says, at my first defense," so I, I'm thinking that that's future to where he's at now in Philemon. He says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So uh, that gives a, a small glimpse into the difficulty that Paul may have faced as he wrote this letter to Philemon. Again, uh, we should see the humility in Paul's approach. Paul is open and vulnerable with Philemon. He, he refrains from being overly direct. Now look back at your text in Philemon 11, verse 11. He says, who, was, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both to, both to you and to me. In a funny twist, Onesimus means useful. His, his name was actually a common one for slaves. This name was often given to slaves in hopes that they would live up to the name, right? Uh, some commentators believe that slaves in this area of Colossae were known for being useless. So, so this, was a, this was a situation uh, in the social structure that, that, that they were known in this fashion, before encountering Paul and turning to, to Christ, whether that's true or not, before uh, encountering Paul and turning to Christ, Onesimus must have been a useless slave to Philemon. Most likely he had escaped and may have even stolen something invaluable in taking, uh, when he left Philemon. But Onesimus now is a new creation in Christ. His, his new birth has completely transformed him. He, he's, it's completely changed his character. He has become a living example of 2 Corinthians five sixteen, which says, "Therefore, now from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have not known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know know Him in this way no longer." Then it says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's new. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come." Uh, Philemon, or or Onesimus, that is, was useless. He was was useless. Yet now he's useful because now he is in Christ. There's another little nugget here I want to point out. I don't normally do this, but I think it's important here. In the Greek text, Paul uses the word akriston. My watch is talking back to me. In the Greek text Paul uses the word akriston or kriston translated useless he uses the word you Christon, which is translated, translated useful now this could be a wordplay if you listen closely these are very close to akristos and you christos meaning Christ christos is Christ so Ah, would be negated, so without Christ, and now he's a good Christian. Literally, is what it means. So he was, he was not in Christ, he, ah, Christos, and now he's you, Christos. He's now a good Christian. He was useless, and now he's useful. In any case, whether Paul meant that or not, it's an amazing transformation. When we become Christians, it is a complete change from who we were without Christ to who we are in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. With Onesimus, he went from useless to useful. He went from not having Christ to having Christ. And being a good Christian, he was profoundly different. Paul witnessed his rebirth and could personally attest to that change. I hope you're struck with Paul's humility. He's modeling his own words in Philippians 2.2. 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. See, Paul in this letter is using every word to focus on others. Even in Philemon 9, where he spoke of his, of his situation in Rome, he did it in a context of appealing to Philemon in love. In situations where you need to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with others. I pray that you will use Paul's attitude as your guide for how you are to uh, not only lovingly approach the situation, but humbly approach the situation. We all need to endeavor to lovingly appeal to one another. We also need to humbly approach our brothers and sisters in Christ when we have conflict with them. When you encounter conflict? Do you make it your habit to approach your brethren humbly? Do you think of ways to show humility? Do you use words of humility? You know, words of, of humility, there's words that betray our, our pride, and there's other words that betray, that show that we're actually humble. And that's what Paul does here. Let's look at the third of five different actions. By the way, this, we're only going to get the, to the three today. So, you can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not going all the way to 5 we We're just going to get to three. So, let's look at the third of five different actions that will help achieve genuine forgiveness and reconciliation with your brethren. You should justly agree with your brother. Justly agree. Let's look at verse 12. Paul writes, I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. The... NIV accentuates Paul's words by saying, I am sending him who is, who is my very heart back to you. I think that's a good translation. He, he, he's saying, he he is my very heart and I'm, I'm sending him back. In this verse, Paul tells Philemon he's physically sending Onesimus back to him. In other words, he didn't just write and say that and tell him that Onesimus is in good hands. He actually physically sent him back. Yet Paul wanted Philemon to understand his relationship with Onesimus. You see, Paul felt that he was sending his very heart. This is the same word that Paul used in Philemon 7, verse 7. Uh, He said, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Again, this idea here of, of heart is the seat of a person's a seat of the of a person's uh, emotions. It's their very being. It's who they are. Clearly Onesimus, by saying this, Onesimus had had become incredibly dear to Paul. He is Paul's son in the Lord, and has become a dear friend and an intimate companion. But he knew that sending Philemon back was the just thing to do. Look down in verse thirteen. He says, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Uh, again, we see Paul's heart to keep Onesimus with him. Uh, the verb translated, I, I wished, has the idea of I desire or I want. It could even though mean I have intended, I even, even intended. The New English transla- translation translates this verse, I wanted to keep him. I wanted to keep him. Again, this this conveys the idea of desire. The ESV renders this verse, I would have been glad to keep him. Uh, This this translation, the ESV, interjects the idea of of gladness, but I I don't think that conveys the strength of what Paul is saying here. In this case, I think the new Legacy Standard Bible handles this, this the best. The Legacy Standard translates this verb, whom I intended to keep with me. I intended to keep with him. In other words, I would argue that it was Paul's intention to keep Onesimus. He intended to do so. Look back at your text. And I think you'll see in a moment why that's important. Look back at your text. Notice the word on your behalf. As Onesimus had ministered to Paul in his imprisonment, it was as if Philemon was doing it. I wonder if word had gotten back to Philemon that Onesimus had arrived in, in Rome and, and he was with Paul and, and Paul had intended to keep him. So it says there clearly, Paul, had, or Paul said, I intended to keep him. So Paul intended to keep him to minister where, where Philemon could not. He may have even presumed that Philemon would be okay with it. Then Paul may have received word back that Philemon was unhappy. We don't know for sure, but it seems like something happened and maybe even Philemon was angry about the situation. If so, this would explain why Paul is speaking in these terms. Uh, again, look at your Bibles in verse 13. He writes, On your behalf, so that he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. The Legacy Standard Bible makes this even stronger. It translates this phrase, That he might minister, minister to me in my chains for the gospel. This This translation, again, thinking back to verse 9, this translation helps bring out the great difficulty that Paul faced. It also points to the anguish in Paul's heart as he sent Onesimus away. Look at verse 14. He says, "...but without your consent I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will." Now we've referred to this verse several times, Uh, Here Paul comes out and says why he's sending Onesimus back. Again, he could have simply wrote to Philemon. He could have simply wrote a note and said, Hey, Phil, hey, Phil, I just want you to know I'm keeping Oni with love, Paul. What he could have done. But he didn't do that. He chose to send him back. Now, there's an interesting interplay with the verbs. I I mentioned the idea of, of intended in verse 13, uh, between the verbs in verse 13 and 14. In verse 13, Paul had intended to keep Onesimus, but in verse 14, he uses the same root word, in a different word to, root word in a different tense to say, without your consent, I did not want to do anything. So his intent then was to keep Onesimus, but something made Paul recognize that keeping him wasn't the just thing to do. Clearly something had happened to change his mind. We don't know exactly what. Again, word could have gotten back to to Paul that Philemon was unhappy with Paul keeping Onesimus. Now, but I will say this. I don't think we can overstate the explosive nature of this scenario. Again, Philemon owned slaves and the church itself had many slaves who had turned to Christ. And now Philemon feels that he's been wronged by Onesimus and quite possibly even by Paul. If all of that is true, then clearly Philemon didn't understand the whole situation. Clearly, he didn't have the full picture. So Paul sent Onesimus back with an explanation of why he kept him for that period of time. As such, he didn't want to presume upon Philemon's love in that way, at least by keeping him. He wanted him to to fully understand the situation and to make the right decision of, look at your text, of his own free will. Paul gives Philemon the opportunity to fully consider the entire situation and come to a just decision based on love. Now, considering these things, there's something here really interesting. In Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16, now this is very interesting to me. Moses commanded Israel, You shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in your midst, in the place which which he shall choose in one of your towns where it pleases him, you shall not mistreat him. Wow. That's interesting. Here we see God's heart to care for the slaves in their midst, in the midst of Israel. God called for them not to send escaped slaves back to their master's, I would argue because of how they were, would have been handled by their masters. They could have been, probably would have been, beaten and killed for their transgressions. Some people struggle with the Bible stance on slavery. But clearly, clearly, especially when you look at passages like Deuteronomy 23, uh, slavery, human slavery was never God's idea. It's the, it's the product of a fallen, sinful world. To uh, enslave another human being uh, who isn't made in the image of God is an evil thing. This is where it's beautiful, though. Not the slavery, but how God handles it. I would argue that Paul could have followed the letter of the law claiming that he was justly keeping the law. He could have done that. And he could have held Onesimus based on that. But doing so wouldn't have been the heart of the law, which is to uphold human dignity by recognizing the image of God in every person. <clears throat> and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. As Jesus said, love for God and love for neighbor sums up the law, Right? And he says in Matthew 22, 30, 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that is. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In Romans thirteen ten, Paul taught the church at Rome, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law you got to understand that. That love is the fulfillment of the law. Now I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Paul was able to return Onesimus to Philemon because Paul was confident that love would prevail. Because Philemon was a Christian. He he was confident that love would prevail because of Philemon's faith. That's why he said that early on in the letter. So, Paul justly sent Onesimus back to Philemon based on the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Paul knew that love would prevail and that Philemon would ultimately do the right thing. He knew this because he was confident that Philemon was actually in Christ. He himself was a new creation in Christ, just like Onesimus. Think about how profound that is. Think about how profound Paul's actions were in sending Onesimus back because of the statement of love that it showed to the rest of the church. See, Paul didn't keep Onesimus because it would have been important to the Christian community in Colossae to see Philemon come to the right conclusion, the loving conclusion according to faith, without coercion from Paul. It would have been even more important for the slaves in that church to see the, a just conclusion to the situation. Philemon could have treated Onesimus harshly and even had him killed. Again, that's the reason for Moses' command, not to send the foreign slave back to his master, so Paul acted justly then according to the law of Christ. And in doing so, he justly agreed with Philemon because both had the same Spirit of God dwelling within them. You see, Paul found common ground between himself and Philemon. The common ground of being in one Spirit. Having a common faith and love for one another. Love for Christ as well as one another. In situations where you find yourself in conflict with your brethren in Christ, as you seek forgiveness and reconciliation with others, you should justly agree. You should justly agree with them. I don't mean according to the letter of the law. I mean according to the law of Christ. In this case, Paul and Philemon, in the case of Paul and Philemon, Paul demonstrated love for Philemon by sending Onesimus back and, and he, he trusted that Philemon would make the right choice. This was a just action based on love for Philemon and for Onesimus. You see, Onesimus was new in Christ. And, and this was an opportunity for Onesimus to see the nature of true love. an act of faith on Onesimus' part. I mean, I, he could have just blown the coop. He could have just said, I'm out. I'm not going back. You, do you know that guy? Paul's action gave Onesimus the opportunity to love Philemon by returning to him, trusting that Philemon would act according to love. And it gave Philemon the opportunity to love Paul and Onesimus by making the right choice. And I think what punctuates this is that this was not an easy choice for Paul. When when you're involved in a dispute with someone, maybe it's your wife or your husband, Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a a fellow church member. Now the question is, do you find ways to love them by by denying yourself? Or do you insist upon being right according to the letter of the law? See, Paul could have rightly pointed to Moses and said, I'm not sending him back. That's not what he chose to do. Not what he chose to do. Now next week we're going to see from verses 15 and 16 that you should righteously ask your brother and you should selflessly accommodate your brother. Beloved, I don't want to overemphasize the complexity and the seriousness of the situation that this was. It was a very, 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 very real threat to the church at Colossae and to its ministry to that lost city, especially the slave community. I mean, think about it. If Philemon, if, if, if Philemon did the wrong thing, it would have sent a horrible message to the lost in that community. For the sake of the Gospel, Paul lovingly appealed to his brother instead of ordering Philemon to do what was proper. He humbly approached him as a prisoner of Christ and as an old man in great need when he could have used his authority as an apostle. He justly agreed with him when he could have appealed to the law and retained Onesimus. Next week we'll see that he righteously asks and selflessly accommodates his brother. And With these loving actions, I'm confident that Paul achieved forgiveness and reconciliation with Philemon and himself, as well as Philemon and Onesimus. And the, as such, this potentially explosive situation became a a demonstration of God's mercy and grace to a watching community. I'm confident that the church of Colossae became through this all the stronger for it. I trust that these folks, all of them together, truly forgave and were fully reconciled. They didn't allow this situation to destroy the church, to destroy their fellowship, uh, to destroy their, their relationships with one another. I'm confident they, they followed the words of Amy Carmichael who said if I, if I cast up a confessed uh, repented and forsaken sin against another and allow my remembrance of that sin to color my thinking and to feed my suspicions then I know nothing of Calvary love. End quote. Friends many of you here have come to know forgiveness for your sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You have believed that Christ suffered the wrath of his Father so that you would not endure his wrath in an eternity in hell. Some of you have, uh, have, played, have great confidence, have great confidence in, in your Christian walk. You trust that you are now in Christ and and that you're seated in the heavenlies. Therefore, because of this, uh, you can confidently navigate difficult relationships uh, through love with faith. You you can confidently take Paul's model because you know who you are in Christ. You have faith and you demonstrate that by your love for others and your love for the Lord. Others of you may know Christ. Christ but you're immature and struggle with various relationships in your life. Perhaps there have been relationship struggles with your spouse. You have difficulty forgiving, forgiving and, and you haven't maybe been forgiven for things that you've done. Now bitterness has built up through the years. If that's you, the answer to your dilemma can be found by acting according to Paul's example in this letter. He truly made Philemon and Onesimus more important than himself. He didn't look out for his own personal interest, but for the interest of others. I'm, I'm telling you, if you want to live a transformed life that is transformed by your faith and your love, then you will learn how to forgive like Paul is, is demonstrating here, or and seek forgiveness, that is, like Paul is demonstrating here. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3-4, through 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. The, and don't look, merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Those are not just words on a page. Those aren't just words on a page. These words need to be lived out within the church. They need to be lived out within your families. They need to be lived out within the marriage relationship. They need to be lived out with your kids because this is how we live as Christians. They can only be done if we look to Jesus and His humility demonstrated at the cross. In Philippians 2, 5-8, Paul writes, have this attitude, this attitude of humility. In yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking on the form of a a slave and being made in the likeness of men he he being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That's how we are to live. According to that truth. According to that truth. I need to hear that as, as much as any of you. Quite possibly, probably, some of you here today don't know nothing, you know nothing of forgiveness of sins. Perhaps you don't, you don't know forgiveness and you don't know how to forgive others. And you've not been reconciled to God, and your relationship with others are, are full of bitterness and anger. We live in a, a sinful, fallen world. It's all, almost guaranteed that you're going to have those relationships that, that are broken. Quite possibly, quite possibly you're weighed down with the burden of your sins. Maybe some of you even think that God can't forgive you. You know, you've done too much, too many things that are wrong, may, may, too many broken relationships. John Bunyan says this, No child of God sins to that degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness. He stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to be reconciled to you. In the words of the the Apostle John, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In the words of the Apostle Paul, He says, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, sinner. Oh, sinner. Christ suffered and died. You can know His forgiveness. You can know His forgiveness. You can be reconciled with Him. And you can be reconciled with others if you would only believe. If you would only turn from your sins and come to Christ, come to Christ. If The Holy Spirit has spoken to you in the preaching of this sermon. If you have any questions or are convicted to deal with something in your life, want to know more about forgiveness, forgiveness is from a holy God, please contact myself or Bay or, or speak to a mature Christian who can help you. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning or this afternoon, early afternoon now. Father, I pray for those who don't know you, that they would turn to you, they would come to you. Lord, I pray for those Christians who are struggling. Maybe it's their marriage, maybe it's with their children. They're struggling with whatever difficulty, whatever. broken relationships. They need forgiveness. They need to forgive. (coughs) They need to forsake the bitterness. Father, I pray that they would trust, trust, trust. They would look to your example. Father, I pray for the mature Christian here. Maybe, Maybe he's he or she is able to confidently navigate relationships. I pray, Lord, that they would excel still more. Lord, that they would seek to find ways to further reconcile. That they would seek to find ways to model forgiveness when there's conflict. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. So powerful. So powerful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.